Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Seaspire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 411, and today we'll be talking about Separate Tides from the Owl House. I'm GC13. I'm Soren. No, do not adjust your podcast. We have skipped several episodes of season one because we wanted David to be there, but he won't be able to be there for a couple weeks. And since we have some spicy episodes coming up in season one, we're going to get a little bit into season two. Yeah, we're just saving the last handful of episodes, Grom and Onwards, so that we have all hands on deck, because they're great episodes that I think we should all be present for. So we are starting today, this week, a recording about Season 2, Episode 1, Separate Tides. And if you are only watching along with the podcast, you're going to want to put the podcast on pause, because there are going to be some major events from season one that we will necessarily have to mention. Yeah, we're like intentionally making your job very difficult. Sorry, but you might want to skip to Grom and then what was the one after that? Wing it like witches. Should be two weeks until we're back. Yeah, wing it like witches and then the two episodes that make up the season one finale. But we are skipping ahead to season two, episode one, Separate Tides. And if you don't remember what happens in there, That is the episode where we kind of get exposition for what is the new normal. Ida no longer has her magic. She has lost her primary source of income. So everybody is struggling to make some money. Luce decides to pursue a bounty hunting job for the Selkie Domus. A normally peaceful creature, however, has been provoked as of late. Yes. And she joins a crew to try and hunt the Selkie Domus down. But Ida tries to rob the ship it turns out to be the emperor's coven ship they lose the money and then what was it it was a uh, golden the guard. first appearance of hunter mm-hmm. as the golden guard he does not remove his mask yet yeah as we continue to spoil further in the season yeah we we meet hunter for the first time um he's a total brat as explained by others but it's interesting both him and ida like to fly away or run away and be like bye bye, bye. I think other characters do it too. Somebody just really enjoys that little goodbye. <laughs> but yeah, the whole they they can't afford anything is solved because the Selkie Domus throws up. What was it? Not Ambergris. I think a Selkie. Selkie Grease. Selkie Domus Gris. Or... Yeah, or whatever. I don't it, know. It's golden and shimmery and shiny, and they rub it all over their faces. Probably great for exfoliating. And that solves the money plot hole. But this episode, yeah, it's mostly just sort of setting up. The new status quo, which is constantly fluctuating in season two. Like, season one had a pretty solid status quo for it. You know, Luce is in the demon realm, pretending to be at summer camp, trying to learn magic. But season two is when they kick in a bit more of the background plot. Because in the first season, you don't get much on um what the whole overarching plot of the show is. Like, who the main antagonist is. Like, the Emperor is just some, like, inconvenient person that they don't really trust but they don't really care about versus now he's the main antagonist yeah and i think i don't think it was just all the like emperor's empanadas and the new statue in the town square there i i think there is a pretty high degree of patriotism for the emperor being shown here because that bounty guy he has no good reason to stiff eda like that except as a sort of uh shooting her the bird for daring to defy Emperor Bellos. 
And also, he's probably not happy that somebody who used to have a bounty is now collecting them. That probably just feels wrong to him. <laughs> yeah, maybe he just has beef with Ida, or he didn't like her, or has fallen for the Emperor's propaganda. I, I do like how they're showing off how heavily the Emperor is investing in propaganda for his, quote, cause, and how the people of the Boiling Isles, like, you know, the classic Garfield meme, you were not immune to propaganda. And I, I think, like, even well-meaning people, if it's surrounding them and they think that it's normal, they might believe or follow some messed up ideals simply because they didn't know it was wrong. Um, and it was the only information they had access to. It's called the anchoring and adjustment heuristic, because even if you know, oh, well, it can't be as good as Emperor Bello says, you're still starting with what he says and you're just adjusting it down from there. Yeah, you're like, maybe he's a little bit exaggerating, but he may be onto something, etc. And you'll do this without thinking about it. He spent, what, the last 400 years in the Boiling Isles, like, doing schemes? Well, he's only spent the last 50 in power, so... True, but he spent the last 400 years doing schemes to try and slander the idea of wild magic. Right? Like, he kept getting kicked out of towns, but, you know, the, the, he may have left, but the rumor stayed, where it's like, hey, wild magic, maybe it is causing problems. And if they don't realize, it's all coming from the same guy. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the Bai. I thought that Ida just happily saying, have fun wallowing in self pity and feeling bad for cursing me. It's like, not a, she, she may be a little bitter, but her tone is not saying bitter at all. And she just no, has an excited is... Bye! She has forgiven Lulu. I think now she is just messing with oh, yeah. Lily. But that is the most Ida thing ever. Like, I'm going to casually say something like this. Like, it's not bothering me, really. It's it's Lilith who's being torn up by this yeah. right now. <laughs> it's like, I don't care, but I will use any opportunity to mess with you and to pitch your own guilt against you. I've done that. I, that. That's a very sibling thing. I've, if my brother has done something that I don't really find that offensive, but like he feels guilty about, I will milk that. Yeah, I, I think that's just a universal sibling experience. Yeah, exactly. Like, like he still feels bad about it, and I've gotten over it. And he's like, "I got you ice cream," and I'm like, "Oh, yeah, you felt so bad." Yeah, the well, maybe, maybe I can get over it now. Like that sort of thing. I don't know. Ida, Ida just is reminding me, now that you're mentioning her using guilt against Lilith, it's reminding me of a line from Dragon Age Origins. The way she wields guilt, they should put her in the army. <laughs> the army... The army isn't guilt as much as it is everything else. Well, he's saying she wields it like a weapon, that's the oh. joke. We, we see the army in the Owl House is maybe not the most competent... If you want, if you want guilt, just join a church or something. Um, well, isn't that what the Emperor's Coven really is? Yeah, I do. I do love how they're really playing this very heavy-handed. The metaphor they're giving us for like cult mega churches and cults in general and state propaganda and rewriting history and how, how people who are terrible use their terribleness to gain power and what their arsenal of manipulation is they really get into that with bellows where it's like hey like when people like this get in power it's not just because they could cast the most magic right like they 
They have followers. People who will go into the streets and beat down anyone who disagrees with their new master. Yeah, you know, you get people believing in your cause, and then it they invest so much into you that it becomes a bit of a sunk cost fallacy, where it's like, we put so much faith in I think they mention it later in episodes. It's like, you don't want to suddenly, like, you don't want to believe that this person you've been following for 50 years and believing in has actually been lying to you the whole time. I believe it was Mark Twain who said that it's much easier to fool a man than it is to convince him that he's been fooled. Yeah, that's a good quote. I'm going to use that. Finally, GC referencing something that, like, I can use and understand. Well, that had to happen someday. Yeah, and it's funny how, like, in the beginning of the show, like, I was enjoying it, I enjoyed the characters, I enjoyed what was going on, but I didn't think, like, that much was going on with the plot. Like, the plot felt, like, pretty superficial to me. And I I do like shows that kind of blindside you with it. It's like, oh, haha, we're just a fun, silly little kid show. But also, we're a massive commentary on both, um authoritarianism authoritarianism propaganda etc everything i just mentioned in the last 10 minutes so uh if if you want to talk about silly superficial stuff what did you think of Luz's kind of pirate journey I, I could call it a sailor journey but calling it a pirate journey makes it sound cooler it is cooler and i would say that like the scene was just silly funny inconsequential but they bring these characters up again. Like, Luce is now longtime friends with that captain. She gets, like, yep. a ride from him for free to some, like, random location. Like, obviously, I imagine they shared the Selkie Grease um, with the rest of the crew, which is why they have such a good rapport. Mm, maybe so. Maybe so. I could see, like, Luce saying, no, we have to share it, versus Ida, you know, not agreeing. I like how that one clam-headed guy got his head shot off by a spike, and you're just like, whoa, this is so hardcore, and then he just reaches over, grabs his head, and puts it back on. It's like, oh, okay. I like to think that the clam and the body are two different organisms. It's like a symbiotic relationship? Yeah, exactly. Like a Portuguese man-of-war situation. Or it can be like that one Aladdin episode where the Sorcerer King had his Head and body separated. Episode. We watching Disney Channel in 2003. Or whatever year. God, I remember that cartoon. Yeah, well, unfortunately, they won't put it on Disney Plus because uh, Disney is apparently allergic to money. They just have so much of it, you know? That's what they say. Every allergic reaction you get is worse than the last one. Yep. They're becoming (laughs) sensitized to it. Yeah, now they're just going to start giving it away. Because, you know, Disney is such a virtuous, beneficial company oh, yeah. to society. Them and Big Daddy Jeff Bezos. Oh, yeah. They care so much about their consumers, their employees, the greater entertainment culture. The greater community. Mm-hmm. They really care about art. Yeah. They care about us, just like Bellos cares about the people of the Boiling Isles. <laughs> hey, say what you will about Emperor Bellos, but he is uh, deeply invested in their future. Well, what is really funny, what is hilariously funny, is that the implication that his subordinates at one point unionized and won because they have like required breaks and they well they have one day of vacation a year, but that's only the emperor's coven. I bet the scouts get maybe more, but that is it is interesting. Like King, what was it in the season two finale? King was like, 
oh, I have to take a mandatory break, so it's cool if we hang out for a while. And, um, what's-his-face buys it? What's his name? Alador, yeah. Alador, yeah, he just buys it, and he's like, oh, yeah, you got them good benefits at <laughs> the Emperor's Coven. Well, I mean, they are the elite of the elite, so you'd figure they would get the good stuff. But uh, they're allowed to be on their scrolls while they're on guard duty, so... Uh... Oh, please. Every job I've worked where it's like, don't be on your phone, where it's like, your phone ends up being a necessary, unspoken, like, tool of your job. Like, I got in big trouble at the Home Depot, like, for stupid reasons, and I was so mad at management. I was like, you know what? My phone goes in my locker for my entire shift. Nowhere in my job requirements does it say that I need a smartphone. If a smartphone is necessary for my job, you can pay my internet bill and my phone bill. So I kept it in my locker for like three weeks and nobody could reach me while I was on shift. I'm like, sorry, I keep my phone in my locker because you're not supposed to have your phone when you're on shift. (laughs) I pissed a lot of people off. This is called malicious compliance. Exactly. Take notes, kids. Feel free to steal these ideas. Managers are not your friends. I've had some good ones. Managers are required to not be your friend. The ones who are your friend anyway are deliberately breaking the manager code, right? Because they they exist to keep you in line. So back to the Owl House stuff. <laughs> Which is a theme that you see in the Owl House, you know. But in the past, we have wondered, why would anyone want to join the Alchemy Track? Why would anyone want to join the Alchemy Coven? The Potions Coven? Anyone can make potions... You don't need uh, magic for that. Ida Ida can do it completely without magic, so you can't seal away the ability. Need magic! But boy, oh boy, is it a lot easier if you have it. I imagine there are lots and lots of potion-based spells that assist with making potions. Exactly. Well, but the, we, we did get Lilith struggling with, how can I be an alchemist without magic? You know, how can I... I, I can't collect this ingredient without ice magic. I can't collect this other ingredient without sleep magic and i assumed that the from the way ida said hey kids want to learn something cool to the twins when she showed them a sleep spell i assumed that was wild magic but alchemists might have a wide range of spells that they can use to collect those ingredients because remember while lilith was in the emperor's coven and had all forms of magic available to her she was also a prodigy on the potions track before mm. then, the potions come and not alchemy. Ugh. Yeah, I bet like temperature spells, because potions, I imagine, are temperature dependent. And sleep is something we would do with pills nowadays, so that would probably be potion <laughs> territory. I mean, we could just do it with good lifestyle, but who who has time for that, right? Oh God, don't even get me started. I, I have had an easier time getting to sleep ever since I started using my computer's nightlight feature, so it uh filters out a lot of the blue light oh, I, I yeah. didn't think it would work but it, it helps a little you know i use flux it's nice it's really weird using somebody else's pc when they don't have flux and i'm like absolutely blinded my housemate is a gamer a streamer and an esports captain and Ooh. their computer screen has like max contrast max brightness and i like i can't it's it's my poor retinas I, I did have a good observation, though. Uh, when King and Luz were still together on the Emperor's Coven ship, uh, you know, King said, King want a cracker! Like a parrot might. And then where does the Golden Guard hold him captive but in a bird cage? And calls him a bird. Yep, literally calls him a bird, even though he looks like a mammal to me. 
But uh, I don't know what they teach kids in the Emperor's Coven these days. Uh, the Golden Guard might not have ever gone to school. I think Hunter's just teasing him. I think it's like, oh, so you think you're a bird? You're going in the birdcage. <laughs> like the bird was sarcastic. So the, the question I have, though, is the, they make it very clear that the Golden Guard was waiting on the ship. And, you know, the, the captain looked up at him and he looked down at him. And it's like they, they were waiting for Luz to come and try to get on the ship. That is amazing level of predicting your enemy's behavior. I don't think he cared that it was loose specifically. He might, like, know of her, but he doesn't really care, or it's not important to him. Like, I think it was just the final crew member they needed. So he's just there supervising the mission to hunt the Selkie Damas, and then he gives his consent for a known criminal to join the crew? I don't know if it was consent. I think it was just like, hey, this is the last one we needed. Ready to go? Yeah, ready to go. Sort of exchange. Might have to, might have to ponder this some more. Yeah, we're going frame by frame. Yep. We're gonna we're gonna be reading his eyeline the entire time. Should have been Kiki Mora. She's much more vocal with her feelings. <laughs> Even with half her face obscured. But Hunter, when he takes his mask off, he's actually very expressive. Like I love going through clips of Hunter and just like you can see all of his thoughts just written on his face, which is a really good like it's it, it's good animation. Right, it's it's a good hint to just how hard these uh, writers and storyboarders and animators are like acting. It's yeah, it, like because you know you think you're an artist when you make cartoons, when you draw the cartoons, but you are in a way also an actor who is acting in tandem with another person. Yeah, it's exactly like an actor who has to learn how to convey all sorts of stuff without saying a word sometimes and. Cartoon characters have that too. Yeah, it's hard. And I I really appreciate media where the body language is so on point that like you have these huge, like meaningful exchanges between characters that are completely nonverbal. You know, and, 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 I, and this isn't a lot of media, but I really I really do enjoy it. Like if if these characters are like exchanging a look or like a little like a shrug or like eye contact or something, and then like so much is being said in those silent frames, like immediate fan like i'm gonna be up at night thinking about it yeah i mean that that is the high quality top-notch way to do things but i i do have a soft spot for the adventure time style of i'm just going to say everything i'm thinking super cash yeah there's a a level of humor and tongue-in-cheek there yeah that was adventure times thing as well they had a really simplistic art style well in anime they say what they're thinking all the time too annoyingly I don't enjoy when they do that. Well, I, th- I think it's probably a manga heritage, because I believe they do that in manga too. Because I don't think manga does thought bubbles. If you're adapting a book to... They make this stuff on the cheap, though. They have to do it fast. Huh? They don't have time to lavish it with attention, these animes. No, but I mean, like, when you're adapting a written medium to a visual medium, like, all of this internal monologue that characters are having, you can't, like... <laughs> In a book, what a character, what a protagonist or narrator is thinking can be stated throughout the narration, right? Anytime there is not dialogue, you can have the narrator giving their thoughts and opinions and whatever. But it's a little bit harder to do that in visual medium because then you just have like character constantly in a thought bubble wasting time. Like it, it doesn't flow as easily in the visual medium. So that adaptation from manga or book or whatever 
to art and animation or even live action like or like a screenplay or a script like you can't it's not written the same way because it's not meant to be consumed in the same way so some things are harder to convey and like both of them have their strengths like obviously in written media you can just very easily have these characters inner thoughts and motivations and stuff being listed as they go but you have to physically describe all the settings that you're in and you have to paint a picture and sometimes for stuff that like people haven't heard of before or that's really convoluted like sometimes the descriptions of a book where it's like they're describing a spaceship or something and i'm like i have no idea what you're talking about like this is like you are describing to me something that i just cannot picture in my head and maybe i'm stupid it gets to be a bit much yeah where it's like the inner word like i like do you have a map you know like, can, can, can we, is there a website I can go to? Like, do, can I Google something to get, like, a general idea of what the hell you're talking about? Because it's just, I'm not following. But with a visual media, you don't have to do it. You just draw what you're supposed to be looking at. So, with this, I feel like doing, that that is a good medium that's hard to do. That I really appreciate when it is done. Like, even even in, with actors, right? In live action. Oh, yeah, they can't always hit it. Yeah, you know, like, it's one thing to say words and infuse the emotion you want into it. It's another thing to, like, with language, you can just describe, like, you just say the words that are written down. It's a one-to-one translation. But with body language, like, you can describe what's happening, but at the end of the day, like, the minuscule, like, little microfacial expressions, like, can't be conveyed in paper. And you can only really, like, see it. And because it's so subtle, like, every person's, like, interpretation of it is going to be a little bit different. And that's that's something about visual media that's just, like, so exciting, where it's like, oh, man, like, I'm looking at these characters having this silent exchange, and I'm getting all of this information from it, while somebody else is having, like, a slightly different interpretation. And that's what, like, fuels these, like, really cool online discussions of what's going on in these mediums, and, again, the stuff that keeps me up at night. <laughs> I... I, I'm sad, though, that we're so close to the end of our discussion, and we have not mentioned the budding relationship between Lilith and Hootie. Absolutely hilarious duo. It doesn't last very long. Um, Lily moves away, but it is used as, like, a plot enhancer. A good friend would respect her wishes, but a better friend would help no matter what. <laughs> Words to live by, Hootie words to live by he stood in the sidelines and waited waited for her he waited for her to ask for only after he barged in and offered help yes but he never left he never left her yeah and he didn't like help her without her permission which is it it is sweet he let her face those bees down with a stick until she realized how futile that was yeah i i do like how they've made Hootie more of a central character in this season. In the first season, he was just like the front door, but now he gets in a backpack and goes along with people on these journeys and is like a major contributor to the plot. And that's worth imagine if they'd taken Hootie to the human realm. Oh, good grief. The world isn't ready for that. Would he have protected Luce's house? Would he have just installed himself in her front door? <laughs> um. <laughs> just imagine an episode of Home Alone. Except it's Hootie tormenting two burglars. <laughs> or or Hootie like, come back with a warrant! <laughs> kind of stuff. I would have Hootie on my front door. He would keep me safe. He'd also keep the cat from door dashing. 
So, yeah, you know what? Having a weird bird worm house demon. I d- yeah, and, and, and later in the season, you know, they're like, that house was useless without Hootie. And they're really pushing, yeah. like, Hootie is bizarrely, extremely powerful in ways that, like, you can't predict. I find that to be fun about his character. I, I love characters that are like, ooh, haha, silly, funny, but, like, when push comes to shove, they are very powerful, and they can mess you up. I find that really fun about his character. Plus, Alex Hurst is just funny. Everything about Hootie should, in theory, annoy me, but I always am happy to see him on screen. He's so funny. He is pretty fun. Anyway, guys, that's it for us on Separate Tides. Join us next week. Until then, I'm GC13. And I'm Soren. Leave us a comment or a review. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCeasefire.com.